Hey, how's everybody doing? Before we launch into episode 61 and the continuation of Kirsty's birth story and her home birth journey, I just wanted to interrupt your program and see how everybody was doing. I am recording this Thanksgiving week 2020 in the middle of the coronavirus. And right now I'm just a little bit sad. Three of my mamas are positive for COVID. And I just had to virtual doula a mom last week who went into labor a little early because she was sick from coronavirus and her water broke at 38 weeks. And I just had to doula her over the phone on FaceTime. I just really miss the physical touch. And so I just wanted to check in and see like how everybody's doing. Send me a DM. I would love to hear from you. And that brings me to reviews, which is, you know, really scary sometimes for me to jump on because I'm like, oh God, what if somebody gave me a one-star review? That would just hurt my heart so much. But I understand I'm not going to be like the perfect birth story podcast for everyone. But for my name is actually Savannah Schwamm. I love it. She put radical birth keeping and great storytelling. And her review says, first of all, I love Heidi's stance on patient advocacy. The world needs more doulas who will speak out loudly for these mamas. And secondly, I loved listening to the stories on this podcast during my second pregnancy. I learned a lot of great tips for labor and gained so much confidence towards my H-back, which is home birth after cesarean. Thank you so much, Savannah. Here's another one from Chelsea Simone. Love this content. Thank you. I love this podcast. My husband and I are going to start trying in early 2021, and I've been looking for great content to get me psyched for what we are about to embark on. Here's another one from NG Barnes. Winner, five stars, says thank you for this work. Well, you're welcome, NG Barnes. Thank you so much for leaving a review. If you would like to leave a review, then it potentially could be read on the podcast in a future episode. So let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does the day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Okay, well, we know where this is going, which is towards a home birth. So Mm -hmm. I want you to take us on a journey of how in the world did you go from this hospital induction that was very much on their timeline, everything down to pushing to a home birth? Uh, Finally, 
enough. My husband suggested a home birth for a second child. And I was like, no, like this is before we moved. I was like, let's like maybe find a happy medium. We could talk about a birth center, but the idea of a home birth absolutely terrified me. Uh, just in case, you know, the fear of something could go wrong. And after having a child in the NICU, you know, you that security blanket of like, well, what if something does go wrong? You know, wanting to be at a hospital. So if we had stayed in California, I probably would have still given birth at that hospital. But with a doula, with the mindset of I could have a natural induction if, you know, if necessary. And maybe next time I'd get my membrane sweep to see if that would be a more natural induction than Pitocin. Um, so we moved to El Paso when I was about 22 weeks pregnant and we did not have insurance for several months because my husband started a new job. So actually going to a birth center, it was one of the smartest things and almost the only option we had because I wasn't familiar with any of the hospitals around here. I didn't know which ones would maybe be more prone to give you a cesarean or if they still did episiotomies because a lot of hospitals still do that or if they would even let you try to have a natural birth. And when I, before we left, the hospital I was a part of, they had me flagged as high risk because my son was so big and because the hypothyroidism. And when I saw that, that just made me feel like as soon as I went in, they were going to do a C-section because that's what high risk just sounds like on paper. So we started looking at birth centers before we moved and there was a beautiful birth center in El Paso, like copper tubs, four poster beds, um, you know, things hanging from the ceiling so you can have like a rebozo sling, just like everything. You'd want to go live there if you're pregnant. And that's pretty much the only birth center we went to look at. There was another one that is, that's actually a school on where they teach midwives and my understanding is you don't get to, um, when you go, it's like whoever delivers your baby, delivers your baby. You don't have that continued care. Um, so we went to this very nice birth center and I only interviewed with one midwife and, um, asked a bunch of questions like, can she monitor my thyroid? Is that an issue? Can she, you know, like I'm going to have a big baby. Is that going to be an issue? You know, what's our options for pain and, and, you know, can my son be there? Cause that was another issue is we moved to a city where we had no family or friends and going to a hospital meant that my son couldn't be there or my husband would have to stay home with him. And we didn't really have an option to have family come and stay for several weeks, you know, waiting for a baby to come in the span of like a month. So um, a birth center was one of the best options we could come up with on making sure that all those needs were met. So um, we signed to do a birth at this birth center, which is about 20 minutes away from our house. We talked about which hospitals we'd be transferred to if something happened. And um, Several weeks later, I get a text message that something happened that was out of our control and the birth center had to close. So my midwife came oh my and... God. I have to have a minute to process this. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I oh. wasn't freaking out as much as you'd think because I had a friend who that kind of happened to her like two weeks before. Like the midwife quit on her, the birth center closed, and then 
you know, so I was freaking out for her. And then when it happened to me, I was just like, oh, this is just funny. So um, our midwife was like, you know, don't worry. Oh, and by that time I had a doula too. So I had hired a doula that was able to have postpartum care. The postpartum from the NICU was very stressful. And I think it, it made, you know, the first couple months, even the first year, just really it just rattled us so much. So I wanted to make sure that there was someone there to make sure I was doing okay. Nursing was going okay. So we had hired a doula who was, um, who had worked with that birth center and knew my midwife. Okay. And let me um, ask you a question about mm -hmm. if anyone's listening from El Paso or just like other areas, a question that we get all the time is like, what is the investment in a doula? And it just like varies from like location to location. So like, you don't have to say what your doula cost you, but like, Mm -hmm. what was the range, the kind of the range in El Paso for, um, if someone is looking to invest in a doula? You know, it really varied. Um, I emailed a couple doulas and some of them, you know, the newer ones, the ones that are just getting started were maybe like, I think less than 600. And then one of the, a couple I emailed, maybe were up in the thousands. So it was, and then mine ended up being kind of in the middle of that. So it just, it varies. And also my doula offered a lot of different options and packages. So it could vary on what you wanted or needed from her. And so um, that was really great too, that she had a wide range of services. That makes a lot of sense, especially if she's a postpartum doula and offering like postpartum hours and postpartum care. So like, what a wonderful thing. Okay. So you have this relationship, which is good, that continuity of care with your doula and this midwife. And so like, what happens? Like, do they just call you and say like, okay, we got to formulate what's the plan? Well, I think actually it was closer to my midwife than uh, my doula and I love them both. Um, but my midwife would come like, and she'd just come and hang out for an hour, you know, check baby's heartbeat. Um, she did actually have to come and we, we sat down and we asked a bunch of questions because now the birth center was closed and she had kind of jokingly said like, why not a home birth before it closed? Because she lived right down the street and my doula also lived right down the street. And so instead of all of us driving like 20 minutes away, why not have a home birth? And now we kind of didn't have the option. Um, It was either hospital or home birth, or we could um, relinquish our care with my midwife and we could go to a different birth center. But um, we really liked her. And we were saving money by now doing a home birth because the birth center was an additional cost. So she would come, she'd, you know, hang out with me, um, talk to me and my, uh, get my, my son used to like the Doppler for a two-year-old. That's kind of scary. And just talk about what to expect and our preparations. So we talked about having a, a still a birthing tub in our living room and, you know, she's giving me information like you need to order a birthing kit and, then also she's getting me connected with a doctor to help regulate my thyroid and to make sure I have um, medication for that. Uh, the doctor was at a hospital that is right down the street from us, like nine minutes away. So if anything happened, then he could also be on call. He was an OD, but he could help deliver. And so we kind of also had this nice um, cushion in case something went wrong that someone was down the street and he was kind of on call in case there was an emergency. So we had this really great team. My midwife was also working at the school. And so she had two 
future midwives as her assistants. Uh, and they came and we met them and they were planning on being there too for our home birth. I love all of this support. I mean, it just sounds like things started to unfold. Like first when you told me I'm panicking, but then it sounds <laughs> like everything just really started to unfold perfectly. I mean, even having like an on-call doctor down the yeah. road. I mean, this is very and, unique. I mean, this does then, not happen in my city. So And the doctor's wife was also a midwife. So he was already like on board for the whole natural experience. There was at no time was anyone challenging me saying, why aren't you giving birth at a hospital? What you're doing is stupid or crazy. I mean, I think my family asked a little bit more questions. Like my mom was more concerned. Um, I had these friends that were super supportive. Anytime I was scared and I was just like, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is crazy. They were so encouraging and so excited for me and praying for me. So I had a huge team of several moms that were very excited and just really, really wanting me to have a home birth or wanted to have a home birth themselves. And it never panned out how they expected or that's something they're planning for the future. So I had this great support of people, even though they were far away that would be there texting me and encouraging me when I got scared. And then the other thing we did, because I've listened to your podcast and I talked to one other mom who did a home birth is we got the Bradley method book and my husband and I started reading it. I don't think we finished it, but we did practice some of the breathing techniques to kind of prepare for the natural part of labor just to have something. But my husband says he wasn't scared because we had a doula and a midwife and the tub and that he thought I would be okay. Yes, I know you would be okay. So your first birth with Owen, you like, like you said, you know, they got really intense, you're in Potosa and you're like, I'll get this epidural. And it sounded like you had a pretty great experience with the epidural. I'd say it was a joke. Like when people are like, how's labor? I'm like, oh, don't talk to me. Like it was a joke. When I asked other moms, Potosin was great. They were like, no, it wasn't. They're like traumatized by it. I had a great experience. I was traumatized by the NICU, but my, my understanding is that's not normal. Well, it can be, it can be. I had a great experience. I had an all natural childbirth on Pitocin and I had a great experience too. So there's like a few of us that are just like out, you know, not the norm. Yes, exactly. But what I'm so curious about is like, what was your why? When you wrote into me, you said that there was something contagious about having a natural childbirth. And so like, I just, I have to know your why, like what changed, like what made you say like, oh, like I had this great epidural experience, but like, I don't want to do that again. I, so one of the things that that there's always the why on why did Owen end up in the NICU and we had a great hospital, but like you said, like, I don't know if they stopped Pitocin after my water break broke. There's just this huge disconnect between what happened it like in my care and and my midwife got my notes from the hospital. Like she asked for previous records and she, all it is is a lab. So no one wrote down anything like this is how she labored. This happens because there's just such a difference in how people take medical notes. And I used to work at a office. So like, I know when you get, you know, just the labs and there's no other information. So there's all these questions that I don't have answers for on what happened that made my son end up in the NICU. The Bradley method would say that it was the epidural that made him too weak to clear his throat. 
and nostrils. And so when he sounds bad and they send it into Q because he might have an infection in his lungs, like I have no control over that. Or was it the epidural that just made him, that the reaction from the epidural made him too weak to clear out his, you know, membranes or whatever to breathe. And then I asked, uh, or was it like, did I push him out too quickly? Because I've asked a nurse midwife um, at that hospital and they said, well, you pushed them out in 20 minutes where normally someone would labor for hours. So because you pushed him out too quickly, you weren't able to compress the stuff out of his lungs. And I was told that's pretty normal for like second or third babies or C-section babies that end up in the NICU because they don't get stuff cleared out of their system. So this makes me so frustrated though, because they're the ones who told you they were having shift change and that you had to push your baby out that quickly. Right. You know, I have the, 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 the why, like, why did that happen? And what can I do to prevent that happening again? Because that was, that was so hard to have, to have like a beautiful labor, you know, like I call it a joke. And then to all of a sudden, like not having your baby, not having your baby for the first five hours, you know, not having that skin to skin. So instead of your baby being born and laid on you and having that bonding, now your baby has like all these tubes in them and he's, he's almost 10 pounds and you just, there's all this confusion. You have all these questions can't answer. So that was maybe more of the reason why, like, I did not want to experience that again. If I had to do in the hospital, like I said, I would have a doula. I would have, I would be a lot more vocal about my care and I would be a lot more willing to say no to things or telling people what I need, but I wanted to be the best patient possible. And I should have done more research on like having a natural birth and, and how to do it, you know, so that we wouldn't have that experience again. So your podcast gave me so much information that I just knew I couldn't go through that again and have the exact same experience with my second son, that there would be other options that if I was induced again, I would fight for them to take the Pitocin off and to let me labor and move around and not be monitored. So that's like your podcast gave me a lot more information that showed me I could have a different birth. And I needed that. I needed that information before I had Owen, but I was able to use that information to have a different birth for Malcolm. Oh my gosh, tears. I mean, it just makes me so happy that you were like, you know, the whole purpose of this, like education through storytelling, like you found your power, you did so much research, like you advocated for yourself, like you, you are a one, a wild, wonderful woman and I love it. Um, Okay. Well, let's break it down on the birth. So how did you know this time, like, in, like, you know, I don't, maybe you have that warmth again, but this time without Pitocin, all natural, how far did you gestate? And like, how did you know that you were in labor? At 42 weeks, the state of Texas makes midwives turn their patients over to the hospital. So there was no going past 42 weeks the baby had to come before 42 weeks. Cause I didn't, you know, that was the whole scary part is like, Oh no, if he doesn't come, I will be at the hospital with me and my midwife and my doula, but I will be having hospital birth, not a home birth. And my husband won't be there. He'll be watching my kid. Um, we also had the very crazy thing of, we were going to be moving to a smaller apartment on my, on the day that I would be 42 weeks. So, um, at 40 weeks, I went to my doula and she did acupressure 
Um, and also I wanted a smaller, small, hopefully a smaller baby. 40 weeks, we did acupressure and I started diffusing Clary Sage because I listened to your, you know, 22, is it 22 um, ways to start labor like three times. And I was kind of told that like, you know, labor could start pretty quickly after this, nothing happened. My midwife was able to give me homeopathics, these little pills. I took like 15 minutes for a couple hours to see if that could start labor. Um, nothing happened. I think the next day we did herbal tinctures and I took that. Um, I'm going to name some of these things too. I don't know who your doula or midwife, but the homeopathics are typically like black and blue cohosh or even a red raspberry leaf tincture and then maybe some motherwort. And, um, even they activate some of these things with black pepper. And so I don't know for sure, but I'm going to guess that there's some of the things that you had. And I don't know either. It just, I thought it was really funny. The bottle said it came from Juarez because we're right next to the border, um, to Mexico. So, um, I was also taking red raspberry leaf pills cause I don't like the tea okay. and, um, primrose, primrose oil on top of that. Um, also trying to have sex, you know, as much as possible to help ripen my cervix. And I also did not know how far I dilated along because with a midwife, um, or at least my midwife, she said studies have shown that, you know, it, you can have more infections when you do, um, unnecessary cervical checks. So she is not, she never checked my cervix, um, throughout her care. Um, she would just do, um, she just checked my, my heart rate or, uh, you know, whatever uh, the baby's heart rate and my, and my blood pressure. And, um, the care was just very simple and very relaxing. Everything looked great. And, um, it was also nice with the midwife, like you can, it's a lot easier to say, no, I don't want the extra STD testing that's not necessary. Where at a hospital, you kind of don't feel like you have the option to decline certain tests because they push so much. And some people don't even know. They're like, oh, I had a chlamydia and gonorrhea test. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, you did. I'm like, because informed consent is like a huge problem. I was Mm -hmm. thinking, so this is really, really important, is that yes, the data does show that the more cervical checks that you have, the more that you can increase your rate of infection, even if you're not GBS positive, even if your water has not broken. So it's really important that it you no cervical exams are mandatory. None. You have to consent to all of them. You don't need any of them. I have had so many dual clients that have had zero cervical exams. And I'm going to give a shout out to Kim, one of my like favorite, favorite dual clients, Kim, on this episode, because we are like in triage and they were like, how many centimeters were you at your last check? And she was like, I've never had a cervical exam. And they were like, no, I mean like, when was your last cervical exam? And she was like, I don't know. Like, five years ago, like (laughs) before I got pregnant with my second child. I mean, it was just so funny. And she was like, you know, in transition and maybe about two hours later, she was pushing her baby out, you know? That's awesome. Um, so yeah, so it's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You're ready to have a baby. You're the ejection reflex is going to get triggered and you're going to push your baby out. So I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm so proud of you and thank you for listening to episode 22 and like all of the things on natural induction. And you did a lot of them. Did you do castor oil or um, anything else? I did. I did. Ah, Castor oil. Hey. 
Hey, it's Heidi. I'm interrupting the podcast to let you know about a free resource that I've created for you at birthstory.com. All you have to do is go to birthstory.com and then click the tab that says the workbook. Once you put your email address in, an entire resource library of all of my secret sauces are available to you for free as my thank you for listening to the Birth Story podcast and being part of this community. At birthstory.com, under the workbook, you will find a birth plan template, articles on circumcision, delayed cord clamping, flipping a breech baby, packing your hospital bag, acupressure points, placenta encapsulation, and so much more. There are over 20 free articles ready for you to download at birthstory.com. Now let's get back to this amazing episode. Um, that was kind of our last resort. So we did a, my husband works seven days on seven days off. So the goal was let's try to get into labor when he's off. Cause he wasn't going to get, you know, paternal leave. Yeah. So, um, castor oil was kind of our last resort. And I should mention that my midwife monitored me through all of these things. Everything was done with her knowledge. And she also, um, wanted to monitor the baby after I took castor oil. Um, I believe she also did that for the herb, the herbs she gave me too, because there can always be, you know, a reaction. So, um, she actually, I think we did a membrane sweep first. Um, and so we did a membrane sweep, I think on a Friday and she, that was the first time she did cervical check. And, um, and I should say I had so many cervical checks with Owen and they were so uncomfortable when they said, let's do a member. We can do a membrane sweep. The idea of having more pain, was just like, let's not. But the first, because I hadn't been checked, the first membrane sweep she gave me was more pressure than pain. And it wasn't uncomfortable at all. And it was always with her consent. And she, I was very comfortable and relaxed through the whole thing. And also a perfect time to practice your breathing techniques from like, if you practice the Bradley method, like it's a great time to just practice relaxing your whole body. So at that time she said, you were a three, now you're a four. So the next step was castor oil, which I took, I think one ounce, and then she paired it with another membrane sweep and then more herbs. And that was kind of her like little, um, like, this is how you go into labor kit that she does. And, um, at that time that was a little bit more painful membrane sweep. I think it was like the next day. And then she said, you were a four, now you're a five. And that was probably the first time I really started feeling contractions. The castor oil did not work for me. I actually took the rest of the bottle that evening. No. Um, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> under her consent, under her consent, she told, okay. she told me I could because nothing was happening. But um, when she came over to check on the baby, I was just like, how long does it last in your system? She's like, you're still having reactions. I'm like, yeah. So it can be in your system from like six to 18 hours. And when you drink the whole bottle, it's more like 18 to 24 hours. So um, that still did not put me into labor. Oh, wow. Okay. But did you have diarrhea? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was like, okay. uh, it was like 24 hours of just like, oh, this is, this is inconvenient when you have a toddler. Um, I started <laughs> having, and then I, I did start having contractions after that. So even though it didn't put me into labor, I think that was a Sunday. I started having predominant labor on that Sunday, I thought I was in labor, called my doula. She came over and as soon as she came over, like everything stopped. And so it was on and off and like, it was mild enough that I was able to just practice my 
Bradley method, relaxing, trying to breathe through the contractions. And then thankfully the contractions would stop at night and I was able to sleep. So that was like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And this is all during my husband's work week. So I'm taking care of a toddler by myself and trying to deal with predominant labor. And I'm about 41 weeks. So at 41 weeks, my midwife asked me to go get a ultrasound scan, you know, make sure everything's okay, that I have enough amniotic fluid. And that was on a Tuesday. I was really stressed about moving. And so she really encouraged me to go do something fun with my toddler and my husband and try to relax. And when we went to that ultrasound at 41 and a half weeks, they were telling me the baby was measuring small and that my due date was probably off and that it could have been that like we could push it back maybe. That relaxed me so much because I was so stressed that on the 18th, I would be having to be at the hospital. And the idea that I could, that my midwife could change my due date and I could have a couple more days of pregnancy if I needed it just was like magic. So I completely relaxed and we had this beautiful dinner and it was like just everything you need to help your body relax, to go into labor. And then that night I started having more consistent contractions. My husband was said that he was going to stay home from work. I tried telling him to go into work, but he stayed home. That was Tuesday night. And then, um, the contraction, and I had lost my mucus plug like that day before. So the contractions were pretty consistent, but they stopped at like 10 o'clock at night. And then Malcolm just started like bouncing on my cervix because there was no contractions and it was so painful. And he did that the night before. So I thought that like he was going to make my water break and it didn't happen. So I was laying on the couch like from 10 to one, 10 to 12. And then at 12, I finally decided I'm going to try to go to bed. Then about one o'clock, I get up to go to the bathroom and my water breaks over the toilet, which is the perfect place for your water to break. Almost the exact time that it broke like before. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So called my midwife. She told me to go back to bed. Labor could start, you know, in a couple hours, the rest texted my doula. And then about 20 minutes later, contractions started. They were about two minutes long and three minutes apart. And we let that go on for about 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes before we called my midwife and said, you know, they're pretty consistent. You should probably come over. And we called my doula. And um, I think everyone was over about like 2.45, except midwife assistants. So um, we were trying to blow up the tub, or my husband and the midwife were trying to blow up the tub, found out that we needed a wrench to take the nozzle off the shower to hook up the hose. That's something we probably should have done or tried to do before I went into labor. That's a good point. Practice setting up your birth tub for sure. Yes. Practice setting up. And then I was, I don't know where my husband was and he says he doesn't know where he was either, but I was kind of like laboring off to the side with all this commotion going on. And my doula was monitoring me and, and I was pretty much laboring alone. Um, But she was, you know, there giving me tips. I tried bouncing on the ball, but he was too low. Um, we were doing the, what was it the spinning babies mm-hmm. to, you know, lifting him up, doing the tummy lift, um, the to try to get lifts. Yes. Which is quite amazing. And during, during the contractions that really helped with the pain. And at some point I just said, I'm like, I need to get in the shower. And I'm pretty sure, like, I was pretty sure I was close to transition. So 
I got in the shower, turned that thing on hot and was just laboring on my hands and knees, just rocking back and forth, you know, ooing and, and moaning like I've heard in your podcast. And my doula is sitting there watching me. My husband showed up at some point. Um, and I kept asking, I never said I like, this is too much, but I kept asking if the tub was ready and they kept telling me it was, even though it wasn't even close. And at some point my husband even asked in the middle of the contraction if I needed anything because I didn't prepare him for transition. I like, like made my toddler watch birthing videos, but I didn't make my husband watch birthing videos. <laughs> uh, but in the tub, the, at some point I asked where my midwife was and she came and checked my tummy. And when I look back at the pictures, it was like 340 that she came and checked my tummy, which feels like eternity when you're laboring. And I would say I had about six contractions with the, um, that were very intense. Like I couldn't control my, my labor moan anymore. It just went really high pitch in about in three of those, I had the infant ejection reflex and wow. I was able to turn from on all fours to, um, a, like a side squat for my midwife to, to catch his head. And then a second push, his whole body came out. It was very quick. In I your shower. In my shower. The birthing mm -hmm. time never got filled. Did you get a refund? <laughs> no. Uh, no, but that's okay. So, so in your shower, mm -hmm. uh, kind of like side, side leaning, mm -hmm. which is amazing because our body tells us what to do and what position to get into. So whether you were mm -hmm. on your left or your right, like your body led you to that, like this oh, is I was on all, I was on all fours. So, but I was able to go into from all fours to a side squat. And that's what my, I mean. Like in your yeah. side squat, were you leaning to the left or leaning to the right? No, wow. I was, I was able to turn my body from, um, like facing the wall to completely facing out so that my midwife could be able to like catch his head. Wow. Like it was very quick. And, and the, the one thing that really helped was my doula, we talked about pain said, you know, don't think of that as pain, think of it as pressure. So when I was struggling with the breathing, she was reminding me to breathe down as to being able to rock my, like rock back and forth, like think breathing down and then also rocking down too. So like just having this whole like momentum of like, you are letting your body just like push your baby out. I love it. I'll be honest. Your doula sounds very, very good. I She's love quite awesome. Yeah. I love it. And you're a midwife also. Mm -hmm. So, so this sounds like, again, it was a quick delivery. Was it was less than three hours from water breaking to birth. Okay. So I'm going to ask that question that I know if it's on my mind, other people are thinking, if you pushed him out this quickly again, were you worried again about not having the lungs squeezed? It, I, I couldn't even say I was pushing him. He came out that, just in, came out. that it came out. Like, even though they said next, next contraction, contraction push, like it was, there was no control. Like he was coming out. Um, I wasn't worried because he didn't have that epidural. There was nothing, like if there was something wrong, like I had a very well-trained midwife, I had two midwives in training and then there was a doctor on call. So like we could have got him the care he needed, but he, when his head came out, he was crying. 
So he wasn't completely birthed before he was already like, Hey, I'm here. (laughs) Those are my favorite. It's like head out. They open their eyes and they're like, you know, take their first breath. And then it's like, you know, the, maybe the next, um, surge pushes the rest of the baby, Mm -hmm. you know, your body will push the rest of the baby out. But like, I have so many photographs of like the half in half out. It's pretty incredible. Okay. So the water I'm assuming is running by that. I think at some point, I don't know when the water was turned off. The water was off. Okay. I was wondering that if the like baby's then going to get nailed by like the shower head, you know? Um, okay. So water is off. It's like this very peaceful, thing. And then does he come right up to your chest? My midwife hands him to me. I'm still squatting and we were able to sit down in the tub and, um, in our bathtub and just lay there with him on my chest and just relax. And it was so peaceful. There's, I felt nothing. And I'm sitting there asking, should I be having more contractions? And we were just able to lay there waiting for our placenta to come out, which didn't happen. I tried pushing. And then while I'm holding my baby, we tried getting me back in a squat to see if gravity would work. And I had no contractions after he was born. So my midwife gave me a shot of Pitocin and I think half a pillow side attack and some more herbs to see if that could encourage the placenta to come out. Okay. At some point I get out of the tub, um, you know, trying to just get a little bit more cleaned off and, um, I'm, everyone helps me move to the bed and, um, laying in bed, we try again. Um, I, at some point I'm given more cytotec and another shot of Pitocin and nothing happens. Um, we try pushing, grunting. Uh, I got a really painful massage on my tummy from my midwife and my doula to see if they could get it to detach. Um, and again, nothing happened. Uh, my midwife finally gave like the umbilical cord a shot of Pitocin because sometimes that works. And at some point she says, I've given you everything I can. Then we have to start talking about after having this beautiful home birth that I might have to go to the hospital to get the placenta taken out, which my question was, what is that like? Are they going to do a DNC? And they, my midwife was really honest with me. She said, if you're lucky, they'll give you pain medication, but they're going to scrape out your, your uterus with a a sponge. And, um, (laughs) I really didn't want that. Um, and ironically too, my mom also had this problem. My, my placenta did not come out after I was born and they did have to give her an epidural. So like, it's like repeat time. It's repeating itself. But, um, this is a, it's been a couple hours. Like, I guess my midwife is starting to text the doctor and they finally okay. let us alone. I'm also trying to breastfeed throughout all of this to try to, you know, get that uterus contracting. Was Malcolm attached still or had you cut the cord? At, yeah. At some point we, we did, once the umbilical cord stopped pulsing, I was able, we, I was allowed to cut the cord. Okay. And then, um, and at some point my husband got to hold him too. Uh, because all this is going on. But um, so it's been almost three hours and my midwife and doula say they're just going to give us some time alone as a family to like rest on the bed and bond with Malcolm before the next step is taken. And I realized that through all this, we haven't prayed at all. 
And so I asked Eddie to, or my husband's name is Eddie, asked him to text our, we have like a prayer team, like a group of people we're texting throughout labor in case something goes wrong. We asked them to pray and then we pray and then I feel a contraction. So um, get everyone in and um, my placenta finally came out naturally on its own. God has provided so much for us throughout this pregnancy and delivery. And of course, at the time when you are most desperate and you realize that you need to lean on him, that, you know, he comes through and he, he provides this beautiful ending to our home birth. This is also one of the longest or the longest my midwife has had to wait for a placenta to come out. And she said that if we had given birth at one of the other birth centers, they have an hour long wait. So if it had been an hour and my placenta hadn't come, they would have transferred me to a hospital. So everything worked out exactly like it was designed to work out. It was, yeah, it was beautiful. It was the perfect ending. It was amazing. So did you do anything with your placenta? Um, It's in the freezer. Okay. Doula can encapsulate it um, up to, she offers it up to six months and um, just not knowing how postpartum would be. Like I wanted that option. Um, I haven't needed it so far, but um, I do, I'm hoping that um, like I will be able to like take it to a friend's house and bury it or something like that if we don't end up using it instead of just like, you know, throwing it away. Well, Kirstie, I've loved all of everything about your stories and like the empowerment and there's so much to learn in this about going from baby one in one way and then being able to like take ownership and continue your education and advocacy into number two. And then, so we have one more thing to learn from you and that is what is your favorite baby product? I'd say the most important baby product or mommy product is a bidet um, or a bidet sprayer. If you're familiar with cloth diapering, it's usually a handheld sprayer. Uh, postpartum with Owen, I had horrible hemorrhoids and they did not go away after he was born. So about a year afterwards, I had enough and I said, let's try a bidet. And almost instantly I started having relief. And throughout pregnancy with Malcolm, I was barely uncomfortable um, because we had bidet sprayer that's just, it just makes your life easier and you feel cleaner afterwards. It made postpartum care easier and then also potty training a toddler instead of having to, you know, wipe his butt. We just spray his butt off and he's very used to it. I would say if you're suffering from hemorrhoids, get a bidet sprayer. It's the best thing you can do when you're pregnant. I will go on to say, if you had a baby, get a bidet sprayer (laughs) (laughs) for all of the things. So, um, well now, so people are like, okay, where in the world do I get a bidet sprayer? Like, where did you get yours? So we start out with a tushy, which is something that you would like apply to your, um, your toilet seat. And then you like screw on the toilet seat on top, um, which I really liked. And mm-hmm. then that's worked really well because we have started cloth diapering. And so the transition to cloth diapering has been really, really simple. Oh, awesome. So Amazon, Target, like Yeah, um, you can actually Lowe's. get the, the, yeah, Lowe's, I would say is where you could get the handheld sprayer. You don't have to order it special online. The tissue you can get from their website or Amazon. Um, I'll find one that I think is really cool and I'll link to it in the show notes. So, And then I'll send you the name of the book that I um, read for the miscarriage because that one was really helpful too. Yeah. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening to the podcast and like really being the first person that's come on that had, was able to use the birth story podcast to help prepare and plan 
for a new kind of birthing experience. And so I just wish you so much love and happiness on your motherhood journey. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 